Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hi everyone, Pastor Jeff Woodward here from Metro Church. You know, one of the great things of my life has been hearing back from people who've told me how much they've grown since they've been a part of Metro Church. I've heard that story so many times of people who've told me they've grown not just spiritually or in their understanding or knowledge of the Word of God, but in its application to their daily life. I've had people tell me how much better they were as a father or as a husband or a wife or just in their role in their workplace. And I always think that that ought to be one of the key components of following Christ is that our life grows. And so that's why this once a month gathering online is called just that. It's called growth. So for this very first one, welcome everyone to grow right here at Metro Church Online. We're so glad that you're a part of it. Uh, There's so much going on, of course. Next week, Christmas is about to be right upon us. Don't forget, there's the Christmas Eve service at 7 p.m. We'd love you to be a part of that. One hour only. Then there's Christmas morning at 8.30. Again, one hour only. And they're always fantastic times of celebration. Uh, Then the following day is Boxing Day, and of course, that's a Sunday. Um, I feel like God has given me a word uh, for everyone that's a part of that service. It's called What Happens After Christmas, and I think you'll find it inspiring and helpful and challenging as well. As always, I love to pray with people about their giving. I don't ever want us to just let that become a part of the background of our life. I believe it's front and center. It certainly was in the life of Jesus. It certainly was one of the great verses of the Bible we all know is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. So would you join with me a minute as I pray over every one of your giving? Uh, For most of us, we can't identify the second where that happens. We've set it up electronically or done it on the app, some other way like that. But you know, I know that for each one of us, this moment of giving is the moment where we zero in our faith and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. You've promised that if I give to you, you'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on my life. And so God, I want to surround this moment of giving with faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for moments like this where we get to really bring our concentration and our awareness into the fact that we're giving to you. We're not giving to a church. We're not giving to pay bills. We're not giving to just a ministry. We're giving to what you are about, your body on the earth. I thank you, Lord, for all the people every single week that are giving their yes to follow Jesus. Lord, I know that all of that's possible because your people are faithful in serving you and loving you, faithful in worship, faithful in prayer, and faithful in their giving. Would you bless, Lord, I pray, every giver, Bless their home, their life, and their business. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for that. Uh, Last week, if you're with us in the first of our uh, nights, we call My Story. Then you'll have heard the story of Eileen Green. What an inspiring, incredible story. This woman who grew up in World War II, Then, as we followed her life through the births of her first two children, both of whom were born with very severe health challenges, Jan was born legally blind, 
And of course, lots of you will have heard us talk about the fact that our leadership online, our discipleship online course was actually developed by this woman with three earned degrees who was born legally blind, had her first open heart surgery, I think at the age of three. It's just a remarkable story. The second child born with intellectual impairment. If you missed it, by the way, it's still there, of course, and will remain there on our Metro Church WA YouTube channel. And we'd love you to go back and enjoy that. Just make sure you got the tissues ready. But you know, when I heard Eileen's story in its entirety for the first time, it triggered a thought in my heart and mind. Why is it that some people seem to be able to endure great difficulty and other people crumble under the slightest pressure? You probably know people like I do, who it doesn't take much to tip them out of a peaceful kind of a life into anger or into depression, into just throwing everything in their life into disarray. And I think about that. And when I know people like Eileen and others in the life of this church who have not had life easy and yet who have journeyed it with a remarkably resilient outlook over many, many years, I wonder about that. And I ask myself, is it just the environment you grow up in? Is it your genetic makeup? Or is there some other thing that's involved with that? Now, probably all those things can play a part. Certainly the environment of your upbringing will speak to that. And by the way, the next My Story, I'm going to be interviewing a couple in our church who've raised, I think, a very resilient family. And we're going to be delving into the insights of what family environment is like. But maybe you never had that blessing of a mum or a dad, or maybe you don't even know who your mum and dad are. And you might be going, Jeff, I never had the kind of upbringing that lends itself to resilience. Well, the good news for all of us is this, that regardless of what our starting point is, I believe every one of us has the capacity to grow in our strength and to grow in our resilience. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The scripture here gives me a command. It's not a, well, if you'd like to. The apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, finally, be strong. That's got to mean that I'm capable of being strong. God will never ask me to do that which I cannot do. He's not asking me to be something I can't be or to do something I can't do. So if he tells me to be strong, then it must be possible for me to become stronger, for me to become more resilient. There's a great verse in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. It says this, The godly might trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Now, let's have a bit of fun. Come on. If there was something that was the best picture I can think of, of Proverbs 24, 16, well, let me introduce you to my friend, Jeremy the giraffe. 
Jeremy over here is a perfect picture, I believe, of what it means to be resilient. Proverbs 24, 16 says the righteous can fall seven times, but he rises back up again. So pressures come, knocks will come. Things will get said about you and to you that might be hurtful at the time. But the Bible says that we can have the capacity to rise up again. In other words, the things that come against us don't have to keep us down. I think that's pretty good news. We live in a society right now where being a victim almost becomes a badge of honor. That to be able to point out how disadvantaged I've been in life or the difficulties I've encountered in life, how you know how much they are the reason why I am like I am. Now, please hear my heart on this. I'm a pastor. I've had to deal with the real lives of real people. I'm not a preacher on a stage, but I'm a pastor of people. And I have dealt with people whose lives literally would have qualified as being torture victims under the United Nations definition of that. I've dealt with them in this country, not in some far off land riven by war, but in this country, people whose childhood upbringing was so uh, full of abuse and pain that when they came to Christ, the journey of coming to wholeness really was just that. It was a long journey. Please understand, I'm not making light of whatever difficulty you might be in at the moment. Some of you will have lost a loved one, or maybe you've lost your job, or maybe you never got the entry into uni like you hoped you would, or into that course that was your lifelong dream. I've sat with people whose dreams seem to be uh, shattered beyond belief, that the thing that they had wanted to do became seemingly unavailable to them. And so I know that it's been my privilege for much of my life. I love being a pastor. I love being able to journey with people through their pain, through their marriage pain, through their family pain, through that wayward child's pain, through that financial difficulty, all of those things. I don't love the pain, but I love being in the place where people are genuinely being open to God about their difficulty. They're saying to God, I'm going to do my best to trust you. And that's not always easy. I think I understand that as well as anyone could, that whatever your difficulty may be, it is unique to you. And nobody probably understands perfectly well like it, what it is. Maybe you've got a, a disabled child in some way or rather like Eileen had. Well, uh, my heart goes out to you. But I pray that in the middle of all of that, you won't track the world and allow it to be the thing that knocks you and keeps you down. But you'll be like my friend here, Jeremy Giraffe, who it says there uh, that the godly might trip seven times, but they will get up again. And I want to help you in this teaching session in this service. I want to help you to be the kind of person who knows how to get up again, who says, you know what? That thing happened. I didn't deserve it. I didn't ask for it. Uh, when I walked through cancer many, many years ago, I think the, the verses of the Bible that so nourished me and encouraged me more than any others were, were Psalm 23. You know the Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's verse one through three. And I love the beauty of that and that the Lord is my shepherd. He's somebody who's personal to me. He's my shepherd. 
It's not somebody else. He's with me and he's doing all these good things. He's leading beside still waters and he's restoring my soul and he's meeting all my needs. But I think one of the things I love even more than that is the surprise of verse four. Because verse four comes out of nowhere. And it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff are with me. And I remember in that journey, realizing that verse four, this person's in the valley of the shadow of death, and we're not told how they got there. And we're not told how long they're they're there for. Think about that a minute. God doesn't say it was their fault. It was their own fault. It was somebody else's fault. Because so often when we get into the valley of the shadow of death, we'll go to one or two directions, which is who can I blame for this? The government's fault, the doctor's fault, my parents' fault, my kids' fault, the bank's fault, the economy's fault. We look for somebody to blame or we blame ourselves. I've met people many times over the years who've been through the most extraordinary pain in their life and have walked out of it feeling that somehow or other that abuse must have been my fault. And yet obviously it wasn't. Psalm 23, therefore, in verse 4, is a great comfort to our soul because God doesn't tell us. And you know why God doesn't tell you whose fault it is? Because it really doesn't matter how you got into the trial. It doesn't matter what the entry point was. What matters most is where's the exit? And if you follow verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 23, you'll see that the psalmist's focus is not on back there. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, what happened to me? How come I got there? But he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the psalmist here isn't looking back to see Whose fault is this? How did this happen? The psalmist says, I'm looking forward to the exit point of my valley of the shadow of death. I think that's one of the hallmarks of resilient people is that they don't allow the cause to become the thing they celebrate. They don't allow the thing that started it all off to so lock their focus. I've met, again, so many people where who started it? and how it started, locks their attention so much, they can't see the exit because they've got too much of their attention focused on how it all happened and why that person let them down and where that disappointment came from. The godly might trip seven times, but they rise up again. No matter how much pressure comes, Jeremy Giraffe continues to bounce back up again from where he is. And Thank you, Jeremy, for being a part of this. But let me just suggest to you, there's two reasons why my friend here, Jeremy Giraffe, is able to bounce back. And these things, both of these, apply to every one of us. Number one, he's got a solid foundation. I remember when I was a kid, seeing one of my friends had one of these, and I was always one of those how-to kind of people. And I remember being intrigued with how this could even happen. How could an inflatable uh, toy like this have that ability. Well, someone explained to me that at the bottom of this, there's a weight. There's a 
something solid at the bottom of this, and that counterbalances the force of that comes against him up above. And it's exactly the same in your life and mine. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, But you are not like that, because you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God because he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love verses like this because they tell me at the foundation of my walk with God, it's not about what I did. It's not about how I am. It's not about how good I am or my list of achievements, spiritual or otherwise, but it's about something that Christ did. The foundation of our walk with God is not your good works. It's not your good behavior, but it's the very grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Can I suggest to you, no matter how long you follow Christ, always understand that the solid foundation of your life, that at the bottom of it all is that God chose you. You never chose him, but he chose you. The Bible tells us that over and over again, that God went after us. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, it says and that he gave himself for us. That means that there's something about my salvation always that's far bigger than me, that's not depending upon me. This is such a, an important thing to understand. Every one of us has the temptation and the pull, if you like, towards feeling like we have to now earn it. The thing that we got by grace, we then begin to feel like we have to earn God's favor. We have to earn God's grace. We have to somehow rather measure up. And the devil loves to get you into that game whereby you are constantly falling short. You're never quite measuring up. None of us have arrived. Paul talks about himself as being the chief of sinners, the greatest of sinners. He talks about the fact that even though he's now an apostle, he says, but you know what? I understand that it all began not with me, not with a heart that sought God, but the one that started with God and that he found us. And so there's this foundation of grace that holds us. That means from the beginning when you trust Christ all the way through the rest of your days, that foundation, that thing right at the very bottom is going to hold you. It's going to be there for you. You never need to feel like somehow or other God's sick of you or he's tired of you or he's about to get rid of you but he's going to help you in every way. He chose you. He called you, it says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, that he wanted us on his side. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because I think the revelation of that is so important that if you were to ask me what, if I had one thing to imprint, to burn, to sear into the heart of every follower of Jesus, what would it be? I'd say it's that. Let there come inside of your life awareness that Christ chose you, that he knew about you, he knew all your failures. Right from the very beginning, I think about Peter, who's telling Jesus how faithful he is and that he'll never leave him and he'll never deny him. And Jesus said, Peter, I wish that were so. 
But you know, just tonight before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter protests and says, I'm never going to do that, Lord. But you know the story like I do. Peter ends up denying Christ. But isn't it comforting to know Jesus knew about his failure? That's why the words of Christ after he's resurrected are so poignant. He says to them, go and tell my disciples and Peter. Now, I don't think that that meant Peter wasn't a disciple. I think that Jesus understood how Peter felt when he disappointed the Lord, when he let him down, when he denied him. I think that what Jesus was saying was, I specifically want to send a message to this follower of mine. Would you go and tell Peter that I'm here? Go and let Peter know that his failure did not prevent my victory. And I would say the same thing again to you. If you and I are going to be resilient in our life, if we're going to build that, you can't build it out of personality and you can't build it out of strengths that you think you can apply because every one of us has got strengths and weaknesses. The only thing that's solid enough to build that on is the grace of God. Amen. Build it on the grace of God in your life. Come on. I want you to get this today because this is not a teaching just to scribble down a few notes and file away. It's something that daily, every single one of us, when we face obstacles, when we come to pray, don't pray out of, do I have enough faith? Pray out of an awareness, I'm called and chosen. I'm God's child, that nothing I ever do is wasted. Nothing about my relationship with God is random. You never snuck into the kingdom by accident. I want you to understand that you are on God's side and that he is on your side, that he will help you. I meet so many people who have allowed condemnation. And, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about condemnation as being something that affects just really bad sinners. I think the, one of the lies the devil wants to tell you is that every other Christian's got it all together except you. Uh, that somehow or other you're the rare Christian who just can't get their act together. Uh, when in reality, the, the opposite is not is true. We need to understand that if we are saved and called, he called me knowing my weaknesses. He called me knowing my future. He called me knowing my failures. That's not a license to sin, by the way. That is a license to get up again. That's a license to be forgiven. It's a license to say, I'm going to walk free of whatever it is that knocked me down and I'm going to rise up again. The godly, it says, might trip seven times. It wasn't a bad person who walked into the valley of the shadow of death. It was someone whose Lord was their shepherd. It was someone whose soul had been restored. And so I know that no matter what you're, come on, I, I, I really want you to get, I feel like, uh, you know, like even though I'm, I'm sitting here with a camera, I feel like I know I'm talking to some of you for whom this is a word from God for your life. God wants you to get back up again. God wants you to bounce up. God wants you to silence the voices of it's your fault, it's their fault, whose fault. God wants you to silence those voices of why and how come and begin to say, you know what, I'm going to be like Jeremy Giraffe. I'm going to bounce back up again. Then build that solid foundation in your life. God gives us some incredibly special promises that are there to encourage believers and have encouraged countless believers. I mean, promises like this one. 
I think about verses like this because no human being would make you a promise without a qualification. If you've borrowed money from a bank for a house, they promise you the money. But my goodness, there's so many conditions attached. You've got to pay it back on time. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. It's all got to happen just about in every field that I know of. And yet God says promises like this that are really like such a catch-all. They're incredible. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What a remarkable verse. That means I'm in the hand of God and nothing that happens to me cannot work out for good. Everything in my life. Now, I, I can see some of you shaking your head at that, but hey, I'm with you. I've been through enough painful things, some of them that were a long journey of pain, by the way. The value of the shadow of death is not always quick. And I've walked through enough of those that at the time when I was in them, I never ever thought there could be any redemptive value. I never saw any way that thing would, I'd ever look back and say, look the good God brought out of that. But you know, now years later, I can look back at that trial and that valley and I can say, you know what? Uh, God did something remarkable in that season in my life. I learned some things. I became stronger because of those things. And now I've been able to be a blessing to so many other people because of that thing that I walked to. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me give you another one. Same chapter, but it's, these are remarkable verses that I'd love you to memorize. Please, I know a lot of people nowadays, it's all on the phone and perhaps we don't memorize stuff enough, but... I thank God for all the scriptures that I don't need a phone or a paper Bible in front of me. They're in my heart and I remember them. Like Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us. If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Well, I'm sure that's not you. However, he's talking about the problems of life, about those valleys of the shadow of death. And he's saying, do those things mean God's forgotten you? Do those things mean that God's taken his hand off you? Do those things mean that somehow or other you've so fouled up that God has chosen to no longer walk with you? I love it again. Verse 4 of Psalm 23 even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Isn't that remarkable? That in my time of pain, in my time of difficulty, in my time of loneliness, God says, I'm with you in the middle of that. Verse 37 finishes by saying, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. What a remarkable verse. It says this, neither depth, nor height, nor breadth, nor any such thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No angel, no devil, no problem, nothing. You and I can walk confidently into our tomorrows, knowing full well that God says, I'm going to make it work out for good. 
I'm going to be with you no matter what. I'm going to help you along the way. So the foundation of your life, and, and listen, don't write that off as being, yeah, but hey, Jeff, I've been a Christian for 10 years or 20 years, yeah, and you don't need to go back to that. I'm, I'm with you. Well, you know, I drove my car today and I'd love to tell you that I'm such an advanced driver. I didn't need an accelerator. I didn't need to use the brakes. That I didn't need to use the steering wheel. You know, that's rubbish. You know that no matter how long I've been driving, the basics that I learned in that driving lesson still apply to me. I still need them in exactly the same way. Never sail so far in Christ that you get away from the grace of God. You get away from the foundation of your faith. You'll need that no matter how long you go. I've sat by the bedside of people in their, literally in their 90s, who began to wonder about whether they'd done enough. And I was able to point them back to the foundation of the grace of God for their life. Dwell on these truths and absorb them so that the foundation, what's at the bottom, is strong in your life. But let me come to the second thing that I believe is incredibly important for your life and mine. If I'm going to build resilience, solid foundations, number one. But number two is this, the force inside must be greater than the force outside. Jeremy Giraffe only works because somebody blew him up. They inflated him. They put more air pressure inside than what was available outside. You know, as well as I do, just use your imagination because I don't want to wreck this one, but you know that if I was to pin a, put a hole in this, if I was to do something, stab this with a sharp knife or implement, you know that straight away all the air inside of it would leak out and poor old Jeremy Giraffe is no longer going to be able to be resilient and bounce back. He's just going to collapse in a heap. And what a powerful story that is about our life. How many people do you know who constantly are deflating themselves? Every second word is an apology. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not good. Uh, they're forever telling you about their mistakes and their failures and what they don't do right. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 says, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. Think about it. Like getting a sword and poking a hole in poor old Jeremy. Some people are doing that with their words. It says, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Words the words you speak can cut and pierce or they can mend and they can make whole. This Jeremy Giraffe is not going to last long at all if I were to take something sharp and begin to pierce him. You're not going to build resilience. I know people that get before God, probably we've all done it, haven't we? Get before God and we pray and we sing songs about how great is our God about the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And we sing songs like that. And then we walk out in the car park and do something. Go, oh man, I'm an idiot. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh God, there I go again. And it's almost like we are taking our words. And I don't know why. I've never understood why we think that I can say great things in the presence of God, say rubbish things when I'm not in a church building, or in a time of prayer, and that somehow or other that 30 minutes or one hour in church cancels out all the stuff I'm saying all week long. 
That's a nonsense. You know that's not so. That's like saying I can go to the gym for an hour once a week and then I can be slothful and indolent and eat all the wrong foods, eat junk food daylight till dark for the other 167 hours of the week and I'll be okay. Well, no, you won't. Actually, probably what will happen is that you'll discover that your body will slowly begin to degrade and your ability and your fitness will lapse in your life. So I really want to ask you this question seriously. Many of us are not in the habit of listening to ourselves. I'd love you to do that. Listen to yourself over the next 48 hours a week and ask yourself, do I encourage myself or do I discourage myself? If you were the caddy for yourself, the golfer, can you imagine some famous golfer? I used to play basketball with Nick Ahern back before he went on the pro tour. He's a great basketballer. And I remember when he told me that he had to quit basketball. And I said, why is that, Nick? And he said, oh, my parents are worried it's going to affect my golf game now. He's probably about 17 at the time. And I said, oh, are you any good at golf? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what do you play off? He goes, scratch. Well, it wasn't long after that before Nick's on the pro tour and he still is. But I can just imagine, you know, Nick on the pro tour coming up to address the tee and his caddy going, oh, Nick, you got that all wrong. That's the wrong stance. What do you think you're doing? Or something like that. If you're out there, by the way, Nick, I remember you very fondly and, and your parents as well. God bless you. But that would be crazy, wouldn't it? You wouldn't want to have that kind of uh, person being beside you. You'd want someone who says, come on, you got this. You can do it. And yet many of us carry an unseen caddy around about our life who's constantly telling us, you're not going to make it. You're useless. You can't. You're stupid. Oh, there you go again. How many times have you made that mistake this week? Do you encourage you? Are you inflating you? I don't mean in a puffed up, proud way. There's a difference between somebody who's overcompensating for an internal state of, of, of poor self-esteem and so constantly is trying to prove to everyone how good they are and going about telling them, look what I've done. Aren't I amazing? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you say to you in the privacy of your own heart and mind. Uh, do you say to yourself, I'm getting better or are you saying, I'm such an idiot? Are you saying to yourself, I matter to God? Or are you saying to yourself, no one really cares about me much at all. Do you say to yourself, I have a destiny? Or do you declare how useless you are? Listen to me, because some of you are in difficulty right now and you're in places where there's not a lot of encouragement coming out of either your circumstances or the people around about you. Then don't join the voices of the knockers in the crowd. I've been to enough sporting events in my life where the crowd seems to me to know everything that the players ought to be doing. And the coach, you know, it's almost such a truism in sport, isn't it, that everybody in the stands knows more than the coach and would do better than the players. And yet the reality is none of them are down there on the field. So don't take too much notice of the mockers and the scoffers. Don't take too much notice of the people that want to tell you that you can't, 
you've got to really become somebody who knows how to do what Proverbs 12, 18 says. It says the tongue of the wise is health. Speak health to yourself and to your life. Your words are either like a pump or else they're like a piercing blade. I'm praying that out of this session together in GROW here at Metro Church Online, I'm praying that you'll go here not, uh, look, I know there'll be people go, oh, you know, yeah, you know, in Australia we call it, you know, the tall poppy syndrome and we love to pull people down to size. But I pray that that spirit of Australia and that spirit of the world won't become our spirit, but will allow the Holy Spirit to be able to come around our life there's so many great things in the Word of God that tell us who we are. We are told that we are kings and priests unto our God, that we're the head and not the tail, that we're the apple of God's eye, that we are chosen, that we are called. We are told that we have authority in the name of Jesus. We're told that God sought us out and found us. There's all these amazing promises about your life and mine. Why not focus on those? and begin to build them into your life. I know it's a bit strange. If you've never done it before, the first time I remember that, I honestly remember when I first started seeing that the Word of God said things about me that I had never known. I wasn't raised like that. I wasn't in that kind of space. You know, people would tell you, well, I'm just being real, but what they really mean is I'm being critical. And uh, it's pretty easy to go through life like that. And I remember the first time I began to hear that the tongue of the wise brings health and that I needed to be an encourager to my life. And I remember the first time in prayer, I began to declare what God said about me, that I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It was almost like something in my brain fought that and was like going, no, nah, no, you're not. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that. But, you know, I thank God that I persisted because the tongue of the wise brings health. It doesn't happen instantly, but the tongue of the wise brings health. And so I began to understand that God wanted me to begin to build that and to pump that up. And uh, I remember my dad said to me once many years ago, and uh, he thought he was uh, bringing a valid criticism. I took it as a badge of compliment, but he said to me, you know the trouble with you Pentecostals? He said, you go to church every Sunday to get pumped up. And I remember looking at my father, and who I loved and still do. And I said, and? Like, what's that? Now, later on, my father came into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began to discover what it was like to have the Holy Spirit continually pumping your life up in a marvelous way. But, you know, I know that it starts somewhere and it starts with you. Let me give you another verse, Proverbs 12, verse 25, says that worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. I thought about this because many of us are hoping that somebody else, a work colleague, a boss, a parent, a child, we're hoping that somebody will fill up that emotional space inside of us, that somebody will tell us how good we are. But the Bible doesn't say it's got to come from outside. It says an encouraging word cheers a person up, but it doesn't say it's got to come from them. It can come from you. Maybe you're the best person. Like 
I thank God for the ability and the call to preach. But I know that I'm with you for a pretty short period of time in a week. I know that you're with you 168 hours of every week. The reality is that the preacher you hear the most and that you'll reflect the most is you. So become somebody who understands how to allow the Word of God to be your foundation and how to allow the Word of God to begin to fill you up. Begin to speak about your life in a different way. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Jeff, the doctor told me, the psych told me, my counsellor said, but Jeff, my job, my workplace, I'd go, great. They're telling you the way things are at the moment. God is speaking to you about what you can be and who you can be. He says this, I'm going to lift you up. He says, I'll make you the head, not the tail. He says, you know, see the valley of the shadow of death? He says, but up ahead, there's a table spread before your enemies. That's there for you. He's going to anoint your head with oil. He's going to bring a cup of blessing and overflow it in your presence. You're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray that you won't just let this be a, another nice kind of message. The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians, who were one of the few churches that he didn't really rebuke much at all. He prayed for the Ephesian Christians, and he said this, he said, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. On the inside is where it counts. Thank God for all the good things that can happen to you, all the awards and all the things that you can put up on as trophies in your home. You can point to that achievement, that photo with that celebrity, that thing that you did. But can I say to you, that you never will live your life well out of what's around you. You're going to live your life well out of what's inside of you. Let the word of God, it says, dwell richly in us in all wisdom. Allow that to get on the inside of your life. Begin to speak words about yourself, not to everyone else. You don't have to go to work with a big badge saying, you know, I'm an awesome man or woman of God, ask me how, or something rather like that. It can simply be, that you and the privacy of your time with God say, Lord, look what you say about me. God, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to allow your word to begin to build up my life and to change me. And I know that if you'll do that, then the Holy Spirit is going to open doors for you and he's going to use you in ways you never could have imagined because God's got a lot more for you than what you've ever experienced up until now. So let me pray with you, would you? For those of you here who maybe right now in a place where resilience is difficult, where it's easier to be down than it is to be up, when it's easier just to give up and, and just lay down. Maybe that's the reality for you at the moment. But let me pray. Let me pray that God will show you how to begin to build that solid foundation and then to allow him to put something on the inside so that you can be resilient. Father, thank you for everybody that's been a part of this first GROW session. I pray, God, for e each person. Thank you for them. Thank you even, Lord, that they've taken the time to invest in this because they want to grow no matter how long they've been a Christian. No matter what their life looks like right now, there's a spark of something inside of them that's rising to your word and saying, God, I need to hear that. Maybe they struggle with it a bit then, Lord, I pray for them like Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. I pray, God, that they will be strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner life. 
that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith and that they'll be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ, which passes all understanding. Lord, we want to go on the journey of seeing ourselves as you say we are, not how life tells us we are, not how someone told us when we were a child, not how that person that maybe has rejected us has spoken about us. God, would you help us to build resilience and bounce back in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being a part of Grow. Let me just do one final thing because some of you maybe that are a part of this, you've never encountered Christ. Maybe all you know is religion and church life or maybe you're like a lot of people nowadays, you've never really been to church. I meet people all the time who come to this church and are amazed. They go, one lady said to me only a couple of weeks ago, she said, this church is so up, but she didn't mean it in a flippant or a flighty way. She said, when I come here, I feel I'm lifted again. That's the presence of God. That's the Spirit of God. And He doesn't want to just give you a touch of it when you come to church. He wants to be in you. Eileen Green said it best, I think, in her My Story interview last week. She said this, go back and look. She said, all I know is He's in me now. She went from being someone looking in through the lens of church, looking into the Christian life, to saying, now I know He's in me. You can begin that journey by inviting Christ into your life. It's as simple as saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to put my trust in you. I want you in my life. I'm opening up my heart for you to come in and save me. Just give Him your yes. On the screen right now, there for you is the number that you can send your yes text through, 0488 if you're in Australia. You can get our same help via email at yes.metrochurch.org.au. Of course, if you're with us at metrochurch.online, then all you've really got to do is press on that yes button and it'll help you. And then after that, we will send you every day a Bible verse, different one every day, and a prayer, different every day. Fits on one screen of a smartphone. We want to help you grow in God. People do it every single week, and we love it. We keep praying for you. Uh, this morning, I was told about a couple of people who responded on the weekend. I don't know their names. I don't know their numbers. I'm not even trying to check. I'm trusting God for them, but I'm praying for them, praying that they will know what it's like to walk with Jesus. Hey, thank you for being a part of this very first Grow I hope you can join us sometime over Christmas. Stay tuned, by the way, for the next series that's coming up there of my story with a family about resilience. Then the next grow, which is going to be this part two. Hey, Jeff Woodward here. God bless you. We love you. Hope we can see you sometime soon.